Welcome back, sleuths, suspects, and witnesses. This is day 22 of our insanity. Uh, we're having a good time. This is the murder mystery thing that started out as a thief thing, ended up being a death thing, turned into being an insanity thing. I, I've lost all control, I'm terribly sorry. We are five days out and I'm no longer in control and I have no responsibility. Except for this, I am going to try and keep us on schedule tonight so that we only take up an hour of your lives um, and we will try to try to get out of here as quickly as we can, as closely as we can to eight o'clock. Tonight, we have two spectacular authors reading, um, Andrew Allen Smith and Betty Brant Pasek. I've not seen Betty come into the room yet. I hope that she's just having connection issues. So we'll see if she can get here if she cannot. Uh, Christopher, can you be on the ready for me? I know it's last minute, but... You know I can. You're awesome. Okay, so tonight we are going to start with Andrew reading, and he is reading from his book. Can you hold it up for us pretty please, Andrew? This is the one, right? That's the one. Andrew Smith is reading from What Not to Say to People Who Are Grieving, and he co-authored this book with his sister, Pamela, right? Correct. I forgot Pam's last name. Can you let us know? Pearson. Pam Pearson. That's right. Okay. Here we go. Um, when you are ready, Andrew, please. I'm going to give myself a little more light yep. so that I look even better. <laughs> and then I'll go on. All right. When you are ready. I'm going to read two separate, two separate passages. This book is broken up into a lot of different areas. Uh, and I've, I had to read through today uh just because of some situations to make sure i could hold together so bear with me uh, so part one the not so positives ever play ping pong when we started writing this book we had a relatively clear idea of how we were going to approach it the idea revolved around all the things that were said during the grieving process uh, to us that were not so good didn't help us or seemed a little insensitive I guess you could call these the not-so-positive responses, and they became the basis of how we were writing. You know what they say about the best laid plans. As we continued writing, we realized you could not have the negatives without pointing out the positives. There were so many of those as well, and we know that the positives would help us just as much as the not-so-positives. Then we considered, what if the person has their feelings hurt by knowing they said one of the things that we considered negative? Then we thought, shouldn't we be trying to help the people that are dealing with the same situation? Pondering for a little while, we thought, shouldn't we be softer in our approach? Then it became the opposite. Shouldn't we be more direct in our approach? Then it became the opposite. Or uh, by that time, we were ready to pull our hair out and go bald. We realized we had to make some decisions and put a stake in the ground. In the end, there are always questions we must answer of ourselves and of other people. We decided to approach both the positive and the negative with the negatives first. The idea was to avoid some of the things that could be potentially harmful and then give reasons to why we were avoiding them and why it was a good idea. These are from our own experience or someone that we have talked to on occasion. We also decided what was not so positive for us might be positive for someone else. We humbly state that these are just our own findings and opinions based on our situation. We found from talking to others and from our own experiences, knowing what to do or not to do, what to say or not to say, seems to be a struggle for most people. Helping someone who is grieving can be a tough place to be, and many people would rather not have to be there. 
If they do feel compelled to be there with those grieving, they many times don't know what to do or say. As we approach the more positive solutions, we could also give reasons and explanations while we've already set a foundation to avoid the negatives because they're already out there. Step one should always be to avoid the negatives as much as possible. Step two should be to look for the positives and apply them when the time is right. We know that each of you reading have taken the first step and instead of just jumping in and saying, I know exactly what to say or do, you'll instead pay attention and learn and potentially see a bigger picture of how a grieving person is feeling. We hope you learn our version of what could or could not help a person who is grieving. Just learning a few things that gave us comfort during these difficult times could potentially help you now or in the future. We too, after having to go through it ourselves, will be better equipped to help others when they're grieving or faced with difficult circumstances. We also realize we are growing constantly through the creation of this book as we write, read, edit, and are passionately involved with every word. You may be wondering, why focus on the negatives or positives at all when they can be sometimes be interchangeable? The reason is fairly simple. There are certain global statements that can usually be taken as a negative, and in those, we at least want you to think about the potential effect they can have on a person. We also acknowledge that many things that we will be writing about may not be how some people feel. We have, and will continue to say that. It may be a not-so-positive statement is what, some, what someone genuinely believes and what they feel they truly need to say. In that case, at least we're giving them the opportunity to temper or to listen a little further before they address a grieving person. We know there are a lot of people who are so adamant in their beliefs they won't necessarily pay attention to the things pointed out as positive or potentially negative. This is especially true with some of the statements that revolve around religion. We are both very spiritual and would never set religion aside. We both felt a series of difficult emotions during our grieving process uh, <clears throat> that point out using religions, uh, religion as a foundation may not be a direction to take early in the grieving process. There will be a time to share your beliefs and that might help somebody later. But ask yourself, is this the time? Will this make them feel any better? Will this remove any of their pain? Should I just wait and share this with them when they can actually hear what I'm saying? And will they be able to accept what I'm trying to share with them? There is an old saying that has been shared with me for many generations that stands true today. There is a time and a place for everything. Take a moment and take inventory of your positives and negatives and how you would approach each one. As you read the text, try to understand not only what the speaker was saying, but how you could be interpreted by someone who is grieving. By doing this, you can exercise your mind and imagination, and in the process, determine if we have pointed out the negatives you would have pointed out, and vice versa. Now take a moment and journey with us into a world that is not as positive as many people think, nor as negative as others may consider. Let's take a moment and look at the things we should not say to a person who is grieving. I think I'm going to stop there. Okay. Thank you. Awesome. Yay. This is a fantastic book. Um, if you guys haven't already read it, I, I highly recommend it that everybody do. It, it's it's really fantastic. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Um, Christopher, did I spring this on you too quickly? No, as long as people give me a little latitude because this is not rehearsed at all. So, but I've got a selection picked out. The other one I did from Beautiful Moment was a little dark. This is also from the same book. It's not nearly. It's a much more tender little scene. Awesome. Okay. 
So this is from uh, Christopher's book, The Beautiful Moment. Did I get that? Beautiful Moment, right? I always get it wrong, but I'm, I got it right that time. Yay! Do you have a copy nearby just for fun? Oh, there it is. Andrew's got it. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yay! Andrew comes through once again. Okay. Um, when you are ready, Christopher, please take the microphone okay. and read aloud. Hopefully this will be within the eight minutes. I will try. I'm gonna it's fine. Try. You got time. Okay. You got time. Uh, I've introduced at this point the character of Clark Matsuda, who is a Japanese doctor in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So they're in the emergency room. Clark turned the corner in emergency. Afternoon rounds were complete, and he hoped to look into a few items before checking email at the office and maybe, just maybe, head out to do some grocery shopping. No, no more reheated hospital food. A couple more days of that, he'd look just like his mother's bonsai. Naturally, that's when Rachel paged him to the triage desk. Rachel, she grinned. By the prickling of my well-manicured thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Oh, good, she was being vague. At least she was consistent. You got into the cannabis, didn't you? Or did someone slip you a pack of edible gummies again? Your boyfriend is headed back. Huh? Boyfriend? Pardon me? Mister, I don't get involved. We just received a call from the Brimley Police Department. Their ambulance is on its way with one Wesley trailer. Did they say why? Auto accident? Ripped stitches? Something worse? Clark cringed. Hopefully not something worse. He wasn't sure what exactly that might entail, but whatever the situation might be, it hopefully wasn't something worse. The symptoms they gave Dr. Carroll make it sound like appendicitis. He sighed, Dr. Carroll is on call today? Crap. Right? Rachel agreed in typical sarcastic form. They both knew what Dr. Carroll being on call meant. She thinks everything can be solved through circumcision. Rachel rolled her eyes. Well, if it helps. Wesley's already circumcised. You Pete? Rachel grinned. I knew you liked him. That information is in his chart, Clark countered. Sure, it's in his chart. She spoke in a tone he recognized parents using to children who were clarifying lying. Admit it. His chart isn't the only thing you want. Don't even think about finishing that sentence. Spoil sport. Rachel stuck her tongue out at him. Clark entered the pre-op area, checked the board for Wesley's name, grabbed and glanced through his file, then proceeded to where Wesley had been wheeled. He smiled and opened the door. I see you've returned. You should have been an optometrist, Wesley snapped. Admit it, you missed me. Clark ignored Wesley's bad humor, didn't you? He trans transitioned his smile into his famous disarming grin with effortless, uncanny precision. Must be my personality. You say personality, I call it a disorder, Wesley winced. And speaking of disorders, what is going on with that bat crap crazy ER doctor who asked me if I'm circumcised? Clark nearly laughed out loud. Oh, the stories patients had told about Dr. Carroll. She's actually a very good doctor, just when she's not around anyone with a you-know-what. I reviewed her notes before I came in. Did you really use as many expletives as she claimed before asking her to leave and get someone competent to help you? That woman has splinters in the windmills of her mind, and something tells me I'm not the first to say that. Wesley squeezed his eyes shut for a second, then reopened them. Why am I in pre-op? I'm actually starting to feel a little better. I think I just need to go home and rest. Please don't insult me by lying, Wesley. My name, Dr. Matsuda, is Mr. Trailer. The stare in Wesley's face suggested he'd burn Clark alive with his eyes if he could. I'd appreciate it if you'd remember that. We think you have an appendix that's about to burst. Why is this happening to me? Wesley sputtered. What did I do? A few seconds of silence passed and Clark realized Wesley hadn't asked a rhetorical question. 
well, the question was technically rhetorical. Only, for whatever reason, the real Wesley, the one behind the wall, snuck out for a moment without even realizing and asked a real question going through his mind. Clark took a deep breath. Our bodies don't hold grudges, Wesley. The man didn't react in the least to the use of his first name, even after just reminding Clark not to. Kidney stones develop over time, and we don't even realize it's happening. Appendicitis has a number of causes, none of which comes from our actions or the actions of others around us. It's a natural and organic occurrence that happens. But this one is serious. People have died from a burst appendix. You may not like me, but I know what I'm doing. And yes, you need emergency surgery. That's why you're here. And my friend who operated on your kidney stone is going to be the one who takes care of this too. He's a good surgeon, and I trust him. I need you to trust me to trust him. Wesley blinked several times, and his eyes turned glossy. You're going to put me under again, aren't you? Yes, I know you don't like that, but it's necessary, and I'll check on you throughout the procedure again. Wesley peered at him. The nurse said you checked on me last time, too. I did, Clark nodded. Why? Because I like your eyes. It was true. He did. Something about them. A pre-op nurse approached them, syringe in hand, something to put into Wesley's IV to help him relax and fall asleep. Wesley winced. Take my mind off this, please. Perhaps a little reassurance might be called for. It's okay to be scared. I never said I was scared, Wesley snapped. You're right. You didn't. Or perhaps a little reassurance might be the wrong way to go. Maybe he could inject a little humor into things. But it's okay if you are. Nobody likes being put unconscious. It's natural to not want that. It's a loss of control. It's trusting people you don't know to do the right thing while you have no control over any of it. You never know if someone in the room is secretly working for a black market organization, quietly taking stock of your organs, how healthy they look, and plotting to remove them after you're discharged. Leslie's eyes opened wide. Are you trying to give me a panic attack? Even the nurse gave Clark a what-the-heck look. Two for two, dumbass. Nice going. I'm just trying to take your mind off this and maybe get you to smile. Wesley, nobody here works for a black market organization. There's no organ harvesting going on. Clark sighed. Not his best day for helping a patient, let alone someone he felt a connection to. Tell you what, this usually works for some of my patients. Think back to a favorite childhood memory and tell me about it. He nodded to the nurse and she began injecting medication into Wesley's IV. I can't think of any. Okay, Clark smiled. Try this instead. Tell me about your parents. They both passed. Sorry to hear that. He silently vowed to find a solution because if the first one doesn't succeed, I have an idea. Hang on a moment. Clark grabbed his clipboard and pulled out a small laminated picture. I keep this with me as a reminder that there's beauty in the world. He held the picture so Wesley could see it. Wesley's face relaxed and his eyes narrowed. That's beautiful. Is that you in the picture? Yes, that's me. My parents moved us to a house in a town called Yoshino in Japan. It's east of Osaka, known for its cherry blossoms. I didn't realize how lucky I was as a child to live there, and my favorite time of year was when the cherry blossoms came into bloom. I even had a favorite tree in our backyard. It's the one in the picture. My parents could leave me in one place, and I'd spend hours there just gazing at it, and all the other trees around. They only blossom during a certain part of the year, and only for about two weeks. I don't think I've ever seen anything as breathtaking as those blossoms of that tree. They're beautiful. Wesley's voice sounded softer, more dreamlike. The medication must have started to kick in. I was four years old. My parents just happened to bring a camera with them the first time I saw the tree, watched me from behind, and took this shot. It was the same every year. My parents said the cherry blossoms must be important to me and would one day play an important part in something, but I won't know what that reason is until it presents itself. I still go back as often as I can to see them bloom. There are a few moments in life when you can just sit there 
a gentle breeze blowing, watch the trees move, and let nature show you something so special. No response. Clark leaned over. Wesley? The man's eyes were closed, a half smile on his face. Something wicked this way came? No, Rachel had been wrong. Nothing wicked about this man. Nothing wicked at all. Thank you so much. That was lovely. I I really appreciate you um, stepping in at the last minute like that. I know that I caught you off guard completely. You didn't. No, get that's okay. Prep, so hope I didn't do too horribly on it. So. You were fantastic. Thank you very very much. You know better. You always read well. Don't even. <laughs> yeah. I've rehearsed about two weeks of rehearsing. Yeah, I could do okay. Oh, you come were on. great. You were. I, I have supposed and put it out there that if you took several of us that were in this uh, suspect pool and put us on stage together with no scripts we would have more hilarity than most places do with months of practice yes. and more deaths than we do in this. pardon <laughs> and more deaths than we do in this well, that is possible <laughs> after all i have lots of toys <laughs> And thank you so much, Christopher. I really appreciate it. Andrew, could you hold up the book since you've got it handy again? This is Andrew's book, The Beautiful Moment. You guys check it out. Um, and thank you it's again. Christopher. Christopher's book, not Andrew's book. I know. That's what I said. I said, Andrew, can you hold it up so we could see? Yes, but then you said this is Andrew's book. <laughs> well, technically, it is Andrew's book because it's his house. <laughs> But it is Christopher wrote it, but it's living at Andrew's house right now. So there you go. Yep, yep. I've completely lost control. Okay. It was a beautiful moment until a slice of beer came after it. All right, here we go. Um Let's get back to the, the insanity at hand. Uh, the case of the assassinated author. Andrew Allen Smith, we have discovered, had stolen the sardonic manuscript. Then he was assassinated. Who is the culprit? Why did they do the deed? We have a pretty large suspect pool. Chloe Holiday, Melinda Falgo, who is interestingly not in the room tonight. Ruby Fink. Christopher Gare, who, even though he is an undercover detective, is a little shifty, I think we've learned. Uh, Amy Kelso, Jules Nelson, Marianne Wieland is also not in the room tonight, but she'll be back. And Deborah Reed is also in the room tonight. We have a lot of possibilities for who killed Andrew Ellen Smith. Um, we had a pretty large dump of information the other night. We know more about our su suspects now than we have all month. It's now up to you. Who wants to begin the interrogation session tonight? Jennifer Raines, go ahead. You have to turn your microphone on first. Amy, have you worked out the name of your grandmother yet? <laughs> I am well I sent a message to my mother on that I have not heard back from her you know how mothers are there takes forever for some reason they don't want to talk to me I don't know why um but I will find out for sure and I'll let you know. maybe it's because you talk so gosh darn fast it's difficult for us to keep up what 
<laughs> just speaking as a mother myself, I'm just saying. Uh, okay, uh, anybody else have questions? Anybody? Chloe, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry I was gone last night, but I did review the replay. And it's really, really interesting to me that um, both of uh, both Amy and Marianne both have this grandmother librarian who has quite the parallel history name. One is named Smythe, and that um, Andrew or, you know, Lothario is named Smith. And it makes me wonder if that's a family name um, that's been altered a little bit the way people do sometimes. Um, and Maybe I guess when I'm they just came over on the Mayflower, that kind of a thing. Well, came over from Sardonia or something. Um, I just think, you know, this is actually evolving into like a, a novel or a soap opera or something. We have secret royalty and seances and, and, and murders and stuff. But but yeah, um, it just makes me wonder if if Amy and Marianne are in fact long lost cousins and Andrew is a royal guy in plain sight. I mean, that explains his, you know, uh, uh, irresponsible and promiscuous behavior. Um, and maybe um maybe somebody um killed him because he was uh he had the manuscript and he was going to find that melinda was heir to the throne perhaps and somebody wanted to keep the status quo and it makes me wonder because ruby was the one who approached melinda way back in the beginning and traveled with her here so i wonder if ruby sort of knew about all this set it in motion to either you know get next to the new heir um and had to silence andrew i mean she is named fink right mm. uh fink actually is a german word it's uh translated into finch which is a bird i know that there's also an insult around fink but that is not where my name comes from i'm so glad that you cleared that up for us because i was concerned yeah. as well um, okay. Yes, you um, give me too much credit though. Um, I did get up close with Melinda because I wanted to see if I could somehow get my hands on the treasure, but I was only going to use her in order to get it. I did not set up a big old thing and could have, didn't. Much easier to just have one person. Just take the treasure and abscond, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're going to tell us that, that Ruby means something else too then? Uh, no, it, it just means Ruby. Yeah. Ruby's, Ruby's were on that page in the manuscript that Melinda found, remember? This is true. Um, okay, anybody else have questions or uh, observations of our crazy little thing going on? Anybody? It's kind of funny we got a Granny Smith, but that was the only thing that came to mind. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little concerned because this is one of the quietest nights we've had, and that means somebody is probably plotting something. This makes me a little uneasy. Well, you know, the, go ahead. Here. Christopher, what? I was wishing Marianne was here because I had a slew of questions for her tonight. Okay, you'll have to save those for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, anyone else? Questions? I love that. 
I love that Granny Smith. Certainly, we do have some bad apples here. <laughs> oh, so punny. Oh, so punny people. Um, she gets to the core of it right away. <laughs> bad seed, bad oh seed God. in the crowd. And it can the apple of my eye. <laughs> this is. This is going to be fun. All right. Uh, does anybody else have any questions about our mystery? Any? Go ahead, Christopher. Let me just throw this out. I seriously have been thinking about this at work when I'm dealing with annoying people because it gives me something fun to do. Um, but two questions come to mind that we haven't really asked ourselves much in the group. And that's one, who had access to the kinds of materials it would take to make the poison? Andrew was killed with, or who might have. And then two, who had access to all of us this entire time and could overhear conversations from all of us to know exactly who was doing what to where and to whom? Well, that's a curate here. Wow. Does anybody have any speculation on that? Well, I'm assuming that's. Go ahead, Jennifer. I was going to say, I'm assuming that's why Christopher has questions for Mary Ann. <laughs> mm. Also, I find it, um, when you bring up this question, Christopher, about the eavesdropping thing, seems to me Amy's been doing quite a bit of that lately. Deborah, wouldn't you agree? Yes, I do. <laughs> it is not my fault that people talk too loud in the library, and I can't help but hear them. If they whisper like they should, I wouldn't be overhearing their conversations. Now would I? <laughs> Um, go ahead Deborah. i just think you are like very much in the position to hear everything because you just float around and move around yelling at people all the time so i think maybe you just eavesdrop before you start yelling you know get what you need from the conversation before you shut it down now i have a question though kind of related that kind of maybe will help um and anyway whoever decided to poison mr smith must have had the poison on them before the book was taken because we've all been sequestered here dealing with this correct yeah so they would have had to know or at least suspect that they might want to kill somebody at some point which means they probably need to know more of this plot that i obviously knew until the moment when i found the manuscript was gone so Whoever that might have been came prepared. Just keep that in mind. Well, I I do I do agree with you on that point that I do believe this was a premeditated murder. I don't think it was a murder of convenience. Would you agree, Officer Gare? Sure. Sure, he says. Go ahead, Jennifer. <laughs> um was Melinda kicked out of the library on the same day the theft occurred or was it a previous day it was before that um she was kicked out when i caught her of course stealing the book um but then there was several i'm trying to find out exactly there was several days before she came back i think uh, okay so you were aware you were she was aware. gone for a week um before she came back but i didn't know she was going to come back i just showed up one day and there she was, and Miss Nelson was like, oh, we decided to let her back in. Oh, and we put the book back on the shelf, and oh, surprise, all of this is happening. And then 
But you had plans for that book. And so you might have been prepared for Melinda to return, given that you knew. As far as I knew, when I kicked her out, I put the book away. It was not on the shelf so that no one else could take it. So there was no need for me to be worried until surprise miss nelson changed how and and going. amy you have stated over and over again in your defense that your only motivation here was to protect the book of course I, I just i yes. i i know you've been maligned a lot this month and i just want to put it out there that your main focus was protecting that book and that's why you made such a a kerfuffle about getting melinda that's not consistent with her confession the other day. What conf uh, What did I say the other day? <laughs> well, that's that. that I mean, is true. But I was protecting the book. I may have also applied for Miss Nelson's position, but that wasn't because I wasn't protecting the book. Obviously, it was because I was protecting all books. You pinched a note in. You were aware of the notes inside the manuscript, and you had an interest in. Um, making money she was aware of one of the notes yeah mm. i yeah i only knew of the note that said protect this i didn't necessarily know how much it was worth or anything i don't think yeah yeah um i i just i i just want to add though um interestingly enough here um mackenzie asserts that if you had been doing your job maybe you wouldn't have overheard so many conversations um just consider that the next time you're giving mackenzie her grade in class <laughs> Oh, I will. She's yeah. <laughs> She's gonna regret this. We're just gonna say I mean, this is uh, something to think about. <laughs> Go ahead, Christopher. Okay, two things real quick. I had to write them down so I didn't lose my train of thought. Um, playing a little bit of devil's advocate with what Deb Reed said. Um, if somebody is eavesdropping or they see Amy coming around and they know she's coming around, they're going to stop talking. They're going to be looking for her. They're not gonna say as much as what we think. But if there was one central location where people feel free to talk and not always paying attention who's around them would be the cafe area. Two, this goes Good back point. to what uh, Jennifer was even talking about. My question though is, what is Melinda's mother's name? We know who the father was, who was the mother? If we found out the mother's name, we might find a family connection between a last name with somebody else who is a suspect here. That's a good point. I don't know. I mean, Ruby, maybe, maybe you and melinda have talked about this in your joint research project but i don't recall melinda mentioning that she had discovered the identity of her true mother just that her mother was put in prison uh i believe her confession mentioned that her mother was a maid or just a serving within the palace and so it would have been a huge scandal if that got out yeah oh uh her mother was the queen's lady-in-waiting yes but you i i don't recall her name ever being oh mentioned. no 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 sorry and i don't what happens that. to somebody like that they're removed they're mm -hmm. sent away and that would be a perfect motive for wanting things that they feel they are they should belong to them money whatever there's right. right there um andrew's ghost reminds us that the lady in waiting didn't wait good <laughs> <laughs> thing we have this ghost it's good to have um spiritual influence now and again <laughs> 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 um, 
Um, yes, and Chloe reminds us she was no lady. Well, we don't know that. <laughs> um, the heart wants what the heart wants, right? Apparently. Yeah. There is also a comment in here um, with by Mackenzie. Mr. Gare, as a detective, is it possible someone may have made the sodium cyanide by crushing cherry pits and mixing it with salt and water in the cafe? Somebody's been spending too much time on Google. <laughs> there was no mention of cherry. It was mentioned that there was cinnamon involved mm. to cover up the smell of it. So I would say it'd be unlikely, but 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 cyanide is found in stone fruits like peaches and cherries and stuff. So maybe um, maybe Marianne had some connection. Or but it can also be found that. in insecticides. So I mean, anyone who kills insects for a living could also have done it. Sorry, does any of us kill insects for a living in the room? I wasn't sure. Ruby and I read the same article. Yeah. <laughs> I was also, hoping to find a connection somewhere. <laughs> people spending way too much time on Google. Um, That's what so, I found out about the horse. <laughs> so, so I'm really curious, Gary, you've been sitting in the room all month. You've been watching all of this happen. Do you have any questions for our suspect pool? Hmm. Not right now. Okay. Hey. <laughs> Sorry to call you out there, but uh, anybody else? We have time for probably one or two more questions. If anybody has any, Jules, you've been very quiet tonight. Well, I was just thinking about Amy saying that she just eavesdrops a little bit and it just happens to be there, but there's been a couple times when I'm open my door from a meeting and she's just there with her ear pressed to the door. So. <laughs> I was just, I didn't want to interrupt you during the meeting. I was waiting to talk with you. That's all. And I was saying, is the meeting almost over? That's all I was doing. Oh, all of those times. I get it. Uh, you know, I love Arsenic and Old Lace. It's one of my favorite stage plays, but nobody was drinking alcohol here. Alcohol is not permitted in the library. The cafe no, no, not, no, 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 no. And the cafe does not sell alcohol. On purpose. <laughs> well, right. It's not on the menu. What, what people bring into the cafe on their own time, I can't control. Um, and I don't think Mary Ann can either, but alcohol is not on the menu at the cafe. Well, and Marianne doesn't seem like she's in the cafe a lot, so she doesn't really have a lot of control over it. So. Well, there's that. <laughs> uh, and she does own the bar across the street. Yeah, we're trying not to have that conversation. <laughs> we don't want to go there. <laughs> All right. Uh, one more from anybody in the room? Um maybe chloe could tell us a bit more about her underground group that she's a part of is there a purpose behind it or is it just to steal stuff well it's basically a, a glorified highly sophisticated fence network people put up bids i want to get a ming vase and people who have the skills to acquire that may bid on the job so it's it's uh it's like linkedin for uh, light-fingered people <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you figured the manuscript would be worth a lot, and so that's why you're planning to steal it. Or were you going after the treasure? 
Sorry, I, I can't find it in my notes. So I'm double Yeah, checking. no, no. Um the the manuscript certainly is um uh was was on my list, you know, I'll, I'll say that. And but the but the pocket watch was, you know, quite the score too. You know, if you're gonna be in yeah. town, you might as well get the most bang for the buck. That's how I look at it. 23 million. I wouldn't walk away from that given the opportunity. <laughs> um Andrew's ghost just interjected something and now I lost it. Where was it? Oh, he he thinks the website's impressive. Yes. It is. Yeah, it's that was really easy. slick yes. and hot, legitimate looking and, and, and functions great. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> hmm, that's an interesting thought. Jennifer, last question. Go ahead. Um given that Chloe just said that she likes to have several things that she can pick up in a place. Was there something else you were after in this library apart from the manuscript? Well, I mean, I certainly was intrigued to see they had other uh, displayed antiques and, and um, you know, those, those, uh, those didn't make the cut. You know, if you're going to risk going to jail, it has to be worthwhile um, and something you can easily, easily get. Um, so, so the manuscript and uh, the pocket watch were the things that I was interested in. But the pocket watch was in a different town. Uh, was no, it? The, it was it was at the auction that that was in this town. The auction ah, was in this town. Okay, just a few weeks ago at that auction. That ah, okay, was talking so about. the auction was in the same place. Okay, yeah, right. I think it was the the Bible was the other one, right? Okay. We have come to the end of another rousing rendition of Question the Suspects. Our interrogation session was pretty fun. We have more coming out, but we only have five days left, folks. So um, gather your, gather your um, questions together and uh, bring them into the room because we don't have much time, just five days remaining to ask your questions collect clues, sling your accusations to win prizes. Remember, we are giving away prizes, books and eBooks and Amazon gift cards and other snazzy stuff. So this is not just for our own, you know, twisted sense of enjoyment. There's, there's real loot to be had here. Also this month, we have a scavenger hunt happening every day. Um, if you're watching the replay, if you're in the room tonight and you heard Christopher step in at the last second to read from his amazing book, you get yet another free pass on the second riddle for tonight because the original author could not make it and uh, Christopher had to step in. That now means two riddles you get for free tonight, okay? Thank you, Riddle Master Jacob Bullen, for again helping me manage that side of the insanity. Here's the fingerprint dead body Chuck outline, everybody. Deborah Reed is in the lead with 164, Amy Kelso 163, Andrew Allen Smith and 156, Chloe Holiday 110, Jen Rinaldi 108, Ruby Fink 107, and Emma Palova at 102. On tonight's hand, Marianne Wieland, Mark Love, Christopher Gare, 
Jennifer Rains and Jules Nelson have all got fingerprints on tonight's hand of astoundingness. Astoundingness. There we go. Um, 532 total pairs of eyes have been on our mystery so far this month. Whoops. Oops. Did it again. There we go. Um, the witness ledger. There's the um, totals for every night. And uh, we'll be adding to this as the nights go on. Remember, folks, just five more nights left. And then the big reveal night on the 28th. Mark your calendars. Because at this point, nobody knows how what's going to happen next. So you're going to have to show up to figure it out. If you want the payoff of your accusation being correct, you got to show up on the 28th. Or watch the replay the following day. Um, at one time, I said I was not going to record the replay, uh, record the um, uh, big reveal, and now I've decided that there are so many people that have been enjoying the replays that it would be cruel and unusual punishment to not have a replay of the big reveal. So I am going to record that for everyone. Um, the nightly loot. We're giving away books tonight. Um, if your name comes up on the spinny wheel of happiness, uh, you will win a book. If you win a book, send your mailing address to me at diana at pagespromotions.com and we will get the books out to you. I know authors that I have been remiss in being on top of getting those addresses to you. I have not forgotten. I've just been really overwhelmed and part of my day tomorrow is going to be devoted to getting those out so that you will have those. Um, Tonight, um, Christopher, would you like to offer another of your books to give away tonight, or would you Absolutely. like me to take care of that for you? No, I can do it. Okay, which title would you like to give away tonight? Uh, I know what, you have lots. <laughs> what I can do is this. I can either, if, if the person who it lands on would like a copy of The Beautiful Moment, I can send that out, or if they'd like a different one of mine that I've got, they just need to let me know which it is, and I can send it out. Okay, so ChristopherGare.com. Can you put that in the chat so everybody can have it, please, Chris? Um, so if you win the spinning wheel of happiness for Christopher's book, then um, check out his website at ChristopherGare.com and uh, send me with your mailing address the title that you would like him to send to you. And we'll get that out to you because I know some of us already have a bunch of his books. So that would be awesome. Thank you, Christopher, for um, stepping in at the last minute. While I get the wheel ready, <clears throat> I had an interesting um, idea across my head today. We often see books turned into movies and movies that we wish were books. So tonight's lightning round question, I would love to know if you have a favorite book that was turned into a movie, and if you do, were you happy with the end result of the film or were you disappointed? <laughs> so book into movie, were you happy with that transmutation or were you disappointed with it? Amy Kelso, we're gonna start with you. Um, the one that I'm thinking of right now Zachariah. is- Sorry. Um, <laughs> that's Bridge, not a movie that's not a movie Bridge to Terabithia 
Um, the new the new one that they came out with actually did an amazing job. I was really worried um, about how they were going to do it, and they pulled it off great. So awesome! Very cool. I haven't seen that yet, but the you book was the book was amazing. Yeah. Um, Deborah, uh, Diana Jewell. The only one I actually liked that I've seen <laughs> book to movie was The Hunger Games. Yeah, it kind of explained more that I wasn't getting in the book when I saw the movie. Okay, awesome. Um, Christopher, what about you? Uh, actually, this was made into a TV film. It was uh, Sydney Sheldon's If Tomorrow Comes. And I got the uh, husband to watch it with me. He absolutely loved it. And it's just, it's wonderful. It's, it's nice when you can get a spouse to agree, right? <laughs> it's rare when you get a spouse to agree. <laughs> uh mandy joe what about you book to movie were you happy or unhappy fun for red october and actually anything by tom clancy and i do love all the movies and all of the books man cool you haven't been disappointed by one of the one of the films no cool nice i like that uh deborah harris what about you uh, the Dark Tower by Stephen King, and I was not happy. They not. totally changed it from yeah. the book, and it was very bad. Okay. Uh, Deborah Reed, what about you? Book to movie? Um, there's one like at the back of my mind, and I cannot remember it, but so if I think of it, I'll like blurt it out at another time. But um, I agree with Diana that Hunger Games, I thought was a very good one that I was impressed that they were able to do as much with it as they did. Yeah. Uh, Chloe. You know, I must be a curmudgeon because- um, I love that word, good I vocabulary. Think, uh, I think the, the best book to movie adaptation is 101 Dalmatians and the rest have all been downhill wow. since then. And and I, I'm afraid that I don't watch that many movies that are from books because I, I just don't want to be dis disappointed. So actually I'm happy to hear uh, of the ones that, that you guys are saying are good because I, I just stopped watching because I would, I would sit there like this saying, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jules. Well, I already said hunger games. So uh, the other one would be pride and prejudice. The, 1995 version the five hour one i love that one that's like my go-to one the other versions i hated them so okay uh jennifer rains do you have a book to movie adaptation um i've i've got a couple i'm a bit like chloe i don't often see movies where i've read the book but nomadland i did and i was disappointed in the movie because i thought that the book had so much more um and that the movie just um, selected part. Um, and um, going back to uh, younger years, I was a Georgette Hire addict um, in younger years and heard that one of her books was made into a movie. I think it was the 20s or the 30s. It was a really old movie, um, The Reluctant Widow. And it was a disappointment. It was very funny, but it was a disappointment. <laughs> Didn't quite live up to the book. Uh, yes, I think it was before they were good at turning historical um, romances into actual movies. Right. Uh, Ruby Fink, what about you? Uh, I absolutely love uh, Prince Caspian with um, what the more recent version with Ben Barnes. They did a great job with that. And uh, 
they made some deviations from the story, but honestly, I like the changes they made more than what they chose to do in the book because it really strengthens some of the characters. Okay. Uh, John Rinaldi. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed with Hollywood, so it's, it's tough for me to say, but the last movie that I liked, the film-to-movie adaptation, was Walter Farley's The Blackstone. I thought they did a wonderful job with the scenery. Uh, they had to truncate the story somewhat, but that's to be understood in the hour and a half to two hours you have. Yeah. Uh, Gary Floyd. I'm going to do a uh, series. Uh, mine is the Poldock series, and it was done by PBS twice. And uh, the first one I absolutely loved is all the minor characters actually played a role. And that was the best thing about his book. The later one had some really strong parts. I could not get my wife to watch it because she kept saying, these aren't the original people. <laughs> <laughs> these are not the people they're supposed to be. <laughs> and I will say is when I was in high school is I wrote a letter to the author of the Poldock series who wrote me by, back. And I realized writers are real people. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, living, breathing, whole human beings. Angela, what about you? I'm going to go back a bit and say The Bridges of Madison County. Oh, I like the yeah. book, but the movie, not as much. Really? Yeah, I thought the okay. movie was okay, but it took a little bit away for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, Andrew. Yes? Uh, oh. Book to film, and were you disappointed or happy with the outcome? Yes, yes, I, I knew that. I was just being <laughs> I know. Um, you know, I sat here thinking about it, and I've, I, on one hand, I probably should say uh, A Christmas Carol, because I have every version of A Christmas Carol on tape or digital uh, that has come out, and all of them have merit, even though some of them are not good movies or good adaptations, including uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol, which all of them have that heart. <laughs> Uh, but I have to go back, uh, you know, into the middle of it all. And there was a book and I had to look up the author, uh, Graham Masterson wrote called The Manitou. It is a very scary book. It is very well written and it will climb inside of you and make you wonder about the world. And when they turned it into a movie, they choked something awful. But <laughs> the book was absolutely, it, it's one of the one of the better horror books that you could read because it actually uh, plays with your mind in ways that, that some others don't, so. Would you do me a favor? Because I, I have a hard time getting books to frighten me unless they're about snakes. Would you put that title in the chat so I can find it pretty please? The movie was so cheesy. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Um Dana I, I think you and I were the only ones that watched it, weren't we? <laughs> Dana Storino, what about you? Book to film? All right. Um, this is a good question for me. Um, I actually study television production at Columbia College. That's what my degree is in. So a lot of uh books to film, the adaptations for me fall short. And mostly because I I it's hard. I think, you know, directors and editors have a really hard time converting like the words to visuals. It's hard for them. And, and one that sticks out in my mind was uh, we read the color purple in, in school and in high school. And I read it because I'm an avid reader and I loved it. Loved that book. And my friend didn't read it and decided to watch the movie. And I watched the movie with her and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is nothing like the book. 
book. This is horrible. And I think it won a bunch of awards and stuff and Oprah's in it. And I'm Chicagoan. I should be a hardcore Oprah fan. And I am, but I just didn't think it was anything like the book. I just thought the book was, was so much better. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sorry, I have to throw this in and take yeah. over the conversation a little. I'll throw one out there that everybody is either going to love me or hate me with. But if you read Stephen King's The Shining before you saw the movie, the movie was horrible. Yeah, yeah. I bet. I bet. Yeah. yeah. But it was Definitely. a good movie. I, I remember watching The Shining Different. and not being impressed. Um, I had friends who said it's a really scary movie, and then I watched it, and I was like, "What? I I don't get it. What? I hated the movie." Yeah. Has um, anyone make- seen Doctor Sleep? Yeah, I loved uh, the the longer version of that film is amazing, even though it deviates from the book. It does deviate, but it is a very very good. See, we've taken over now, Diana. Too bad. Sorry, Diana. <laughs> okay, so um, Mackenzie, it is really awesome. Mackenzie, will you please put your um, answer in the chat, and Amy will read it for us. And Deb McPeak, um, do you have a book to movie adaptation? Absolutely. I loved Bridges of Madison County. It was a five Kleenex box book and a five Kleenex box movie. And you can't not love Clint Eastwood. So since (laughs) I already took that, I would say my second would be Sophie's Choice. I I gotta say, just on that Clint Eastwood comment, um, I've never been a Clint Eastwood fan. He doesn't push my buttons on any level but when i saw him in that film i saw him in a different way amen to and that. then i went okay maybe this guy has something going on but all his like western stuff and all that i'm the tough guy thing did not do it for me andrew close we we can't, <laughs> we can't be friends we can't be friends anymore on the list of unpopular opinions there you go um so wow. okay Aunt amy mackenzie. what's mackenzie's answer mackenzie says i totally agree with miss kelso of course uh about <laughs> Christmas she's trying to get her points back from class. yes she yeah. is um she hasn't watched the newer one but she liked the 1985 version which i don't know i've seen that one but you do have to see the newest one um kenzie and then also emma the 2020 version was pretty good too okay uh cool for me um it would be the book thief uh, I read I the book. That. I read the book and I was mesmerized by this concept of death telling a story and, and the POV that he wrote it from. And it was so cool. And the details were so great. And then I watched the film and three quarters of the book got lost. And I was really disappointed. And that's when I told my husband, I wasn't going to read any more movies until I read the books first. Cause I, I'm just, I can't, I can't be disappointed that way. It's just not fair. So. Maybe they should have had Clint Eastwood in it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> then it would have been great. I don't think so. If a story is badly written, it doesn't matter who plays it. It's still going to be horrible. It's- yeah, but the book was amazing. If you yes, haven't read was. the book, Thief, yeah, but read it. It's so amazing. was Artemis Fowl. Although they completely ruined it with a movie that I will okay, never, okay. ever watch. <laughs> okay, yeah. Some people you can watch in a horrible movie, okay? You just can yeah, I actually have a friend of mine in, uh, who run Rational. I've taken courses with and stuff, and he did the book Serena, which was then made into a movie, and it had Jennifer Lawrence in, and it had Bradley Cooper, and Ooh. it was so bad it did not even come out. 
Uh, how do you do that? <laughs> uh, kind of like they, um, George Clooney playing Batman, bad career they, move. They had, right? literally, they had literally run won two Oscars the movie before in the same movie there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very odd. All right, here we go. We are going to spin our spinning wheel of happiness, give away some books, and then we're all going to go hide from the snow and ice. That's what we're going to do. Did you put Clint Eastwood on the wheel? No. <laughs> Not. Make my day. <laughs> you solve the mystery tomorrow and just do movie talk. <laughs> we could. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, the first spinny wheel is Andrew's book, which is what not to say to people who are grieving. There it is on the screen. And here we go, spinning wheel. Okay, the second spinning wheel of happiness is for your choice, which I think is astounding, book from Christopher Gare. Remember, go to ChristopherGare.com and then send me your address Address. with your book choice. So here we go, spinning for Christopher's book. Angela! the peasants rejoice <laughs> okay <laughs> i just i i long story i'll tell that in the last day okay uh before we go any last parting comments before we all run away and hide in our safe spaces we're all avoiding murder right okay. angela i got your book and i love your book so thank you awesome thanks. it's a fun book isn't it it is fun i, I like her book too Anybody else have anything else before we go? Yeah, I have something. Yes, sir. Uh, I read a, I read a very safe part of this book today, and all I can tell everybody is if you're if you're out there, and there are a lot of things that go on in life that are very difficult, and we all know that. Uh, more important than opening your mouth and trying to make everything right for people is just to be there. So when somebody needs you, be there. That's that's all that anybody wants. And uh, I know that I'm a little out there uh, sometimes, maybe a little more than most people could realize, but uh, it's something that's very important to me. If you take the time and you're there for somebody when they need you, it makes a bigger difference than you trying to say something that may or may not be the right thing to say. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Anybody else have anything before we go? Okay, we will be back in the room tomorrow night at seven o'clock. Come join us for the insanity. Don't forget to watch the replay and take notes. Have a nice night, everybody.